You know, sometimes when I'm working here in this church building, uh, people who are in need will come up to the door and knock, and they'll ask us uh, for help. And if I'm being honest with you, I sometimes find this a little bit challenging because, you know, if I'm here, uh, I generally feel like I'm doing something uh, that is important. And uh, more than once, I'll admit, I've kind of silently lamented that we don't have a receptionist whose job it is to keep me from being interrupted. But in those moments, what what I try to do is I I try to remind myself of that time when Jesus was was doing important work. He was was teaching a crowd of people something, and, uh, and some other people, they... They took it upon themselves to kind of like remove a part of the roof, and then they lowered a paralytic man through that roof right next to Jesus because he needed uh, healing. And what that tells me is that it it kind of takes courage, and it kind of takes effort uh, to, to go somewhere and ask for the help that you need. And really, I ought to be ecstatic, right, that people see our church and say, I need help, that's where I'm going to go. But instead, I kind of find myself uh, tempted to be annoyed with them. The scripture tells me that Jesus is tempted in every way that I am, so I don't know if he was tempted to be annoyed in that moment, but I do know what he did, and what he did was he set aside the important work that he was working on, and he gave them uh, his attention. I think that um, part of my hesitation uh, in these moments is that I'm not always equipped to solve everyone's problems. The, the, the other day, a woman came to, came to the church. I was here kind of uh, later in the evening, and she knocked on the door. It was freezing outside, and she told me that she had nowhere to stay. I didn't know how to help her. I, I, I couldn't take her home. I, I didn't know uh, what to do. And so I called our mercy director, and she uh, gave me a list of, uh, of uh, leads. And I was able to find a, a shelter nearby that I could drop her off at. Um, just last Saturday, we were setting up all this greater things stuff, and someone came to the church uh, who was living with his family in his car. He just needed money. He, he needed help, but I didn't have any way of helping him. The, the best that I could do was to pray with him and give him an encouraging word and promise him that I would pass his information on to our deacons. I think we... Uh, we found help for him through one of our ministry partners, the Lawrenceville Response Center. But these situations and others, they, they caused me to go back into my quiet time with the Lord. And I, and I asked God, I'm like, God, what am, I, what am I even doing here? You know, I confess that I felt helpless to meet the needs of the people that are in our immediate community. And I admitted that it, that I was worried that I was failing God and making his church look bad. And it brought me to this place where I was able to repent of, of, of the fact that I really just wanted to avoid needy people. 
Not because I didn't care about them, but because I don't always know how I can help them. So this morning, what what I want to do is I want to talk about how I think God is kind of answering these prayers of my heart and and maybe in yours as well. And and that's why I want to ask you this question before we begin is, is think about yourself and just, just ask yourself, how equipped are you to respond to people who are in need? And how often do you pass up an opportunity to engage with a person who is in distress because you feel like you don't have a solution for them? Have you ever thought someone richer than me will take care of them or someone more spiritual than me will know what it is they need and give them the help that they need? Or or maybe you're caught up more in the bigger picture. Have, Have you ever thought, I can't really make a difference in this community. I can't solve homelessness. I can't stop abortion. I can't cure cancer. I can't bring all the races together in harmony. These problems that we're facing, they are all just too much for us. They're greater than we are, it seems. And right now we're in this sermon series and it's called Greater Things. And it, this comes from John 14, 12, where Jesus tells his disciples that, that they will do even greater things than all of the amazing things that they had been seeing him do in their midst. And we have a sense that, that New City Church is standing on this precipice, right? That we're about to, to go deeper and wider and further than, than we ever have before. And part of this is this calling to engage with our community in a new way, in a bigger way, and to take on challenges that are beyond us unless God himself works through us. And church, I can't tell you how excited I am about this. I have such a desire for for New City Church to be a place of healing and hope in our city and in our county, and that we would not just be another church on the corner, right? But that we would, we would be so a part of the community and, and that we would be so tied up in its health and welfare that people would really notice it if we were suddenly not here. I want all of our people, myself included, to never feel helpless to help others because we'll be so connected to those in our community that are making a difference. And I think all of this will bring us so many more opportunities to demonstrate and proclaim the gospel of grace to one another in our city, which is our vision. These are truly greater things. And I do believe that we're going to see them happen much sooner than we might imagine. So this morning, we're going to take a look at a well-known passage of Scripture that, that, that tells us the story of that moment when Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. And Jesus tells us that he did this as an example to us. And so what I want to do is draw out just three examples from Jesus uh, that we see in this passage. And and maybe that will illuminate for us God's heart for those in need and for our church. So I want to read our passage of scripture um, to us this morning. So if, you, if you're able, would you stand in honor of God's word? 
And Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that was why he said not all of you were clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking to all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So the first example that I see in this passage is that Jesus was aligned with the Father. You see, before Jesus gets to washing his disciples' feet, he, he goes to great lengths to explain to them that he is connected to his father. His disciples had seen him doing a lot of good things to help people. But, but what he's doing in this moment is he's stressing 
that he was primarily sent by the Father to bring light into darkness and thus save the world, to bring eternal life to those that he had chosen. And in other words, his main job was to connect people with his Father. He was not sent, not the first time, to fix all the problems of the world. He wasn't sent to to end hunger or to end poverty or to end disease or to bring about world peace. You know, Jesus does care about those kinds of things and, and he will, and I hope soon, he will return and do all of them. But for now, it's God's sovereign plan that we continue to live in the brokenness of this sinful world. And thus, when Jesus was with us, he focused his efforts on establishing a church, preparing women and men who would carry on his mission of reconciling people to the Father. And yet the heart of Jesus is just full of compassion for the people who are suffering in this broken world. It's not yet time to bring an end to the suffering, but we saw Jesus time and time again meeting the physical needs of people that he encountered within the community. He was continuously showing mercy and using his spiritual power to improve people's lives. Jesus said, uh, whoever sees me sees him who sent me. And thus we know that the Father cares about our suffering and wants to see our physical needs met because Jesus made that abundantly obvious. There is a perfect alignment between, between the Father's plan and Jesus' abundant compassion. And if we're to follow the example of Jesus, then, then we must take care to be diligently aligned with him, the way he was aligned with the Father. Jesus calls this abiding in him. And we do this by praying to him and listening to him through his revealed word, which is the Bible. And we do this by joining with him in his mission to see people reconciled to the Father through the demonstration and proclamation of his gospel. And when we're abiding in Jesus, we begin to see people through his eyes. So we see their need, their physical and their spiritual need, but we don't only see their need. We also realize that they are assets, that that they are human beings with gifts and talents that can benefit the kingdom. We no longer will see them as interruptions or annoyances or problems in need of a solution. But we see them, even the, the most distressed people that we encounter, we can see them as God's own creation made in his very image and thus extremely valuable. And then, just like Jesus would, we we treat them with dignity and we assume that if God has placed them in our path, he has done so, so that we could bless them. And quite often, they wind up blessing us. In the midst of meeting their physical needs, that's when we look for opportunities to impart the gospel into their lives And then when we see them respond, we invite them to join us in the mission. 
You know, in the two examples I shared with you where I felt inadequate to help people, God showed me that neither of those situations was really kind of a disaster. It's true that their problems are likely uh, still continuing, ongoing. But in both instances, people came to the church for help and were met with the compassion of the Savior. Through my kind of hesitant obedience to set aside my important tasks, but I showed them care and dignity, and that made a difference. So how about you? Are you abiding in Jesus consistently enough that you are seeing the people around you through his eyes? Are you, are you drawn towards people in need, or are you kind of repelled by them? Do you allow the seeming uh, impossibility of people's circumstances to, to deter you from engaging with them? Or do you connect with them boldly, knowing that with Jesus, all things are possible? Here's my challenge to you this week. In, in, your, in your daily quiet time with the Lord, would you ask him to align your heart with Jesus for the sake of people who are in need. The next example that I see in this text is that Jesus was extraordinarily humble. Uh, I think that this kind of concept of foot washing is lost on us. We don't really have anything in our culture that's similar to it. Uh, but in ancient times, it was really, really important to people uh, that, that they would have their feet cleaned. You see, even if somebody would regularly bathe, they, they only had to take a few steps journey before their feet were filthy again. And in Jesus' day, for, for whatever reason, the, the cleaning of feet was a task that was relegated to kind of the lowest of, of the low. Like it was slaves' work. And, and not only that, Jew, Jewish, Jewish people wouldn't let their Jewish slaves do foot washings. They insisted that only the Gentile slaves do it. There was such a stigma against it. So imagine what was going through the disciples' heads, right? When in the middle of this meal that they're sharing together, Jesus stands up, takes off his kind of rabbi clothes, right? And puts on the garb of a slave. Then he kneels at their feet to, to perform the most degrading task that they could think of. This was shocking. I think they were speechless. Until, of course, we get to Peter, who's never speechless. Peter says, are you going to wash my feet? You will never wash my feet. See, I think the disciples, they, they saw this and they... they, they saw the enormity of it, but they, they weren't quite grasping entirely just how amazing this moment was. This wasn't just some well-respected rabbi choosing to demean himself, but it was the very God of the universe. And he was not only going to wash their grubby feet, but he was going to voluntarily climb up onto a Roman cross like a common criminal. The Apostle Paul gets at the heart of this later 
when he writes the, the words that we find in Philippians 2. This is what he says. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus once and for all set this example for his disciples to follow. If Jesus could lay down all of his rights and privileges as almighty God, we can certainly lay down our sinful pride and our illusions about how important we are. If we're to follow the example of Jesus, we're to take this humble posture as servants. This is why Paul writes in just the verse before that, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. So on a kind of personal level, allow me to challenge you this week in your, in your quiet time with the Lord. Ask him to show you if you have any uh, selfish ambition or conceit in your life. And if you find it, ask him to help you repent and teach you to count others as more important than yourselves. But you know, this week, as, as I was kind of thinking about this notion of humility, it, it occurred to me that, that as churches, we often allow our pride to hinder us from ministering to our community. See, it's so easy for us to fall into this trap of believing that the church must be the answer to every problem, that, that in order for God to be glorified, his provision for the needy must have the name of his church attached to it. We see great need around us, and our first, and I think sometimes our only impulse is, well, let's create a program to go and try and solve it. And yet so often we find that there are already organizations at work in our midst. Rather than engaging with them, we actually begin to compete with them for resources and, well, and ultimately for credit and acknowledgement. I think uh, New City is, is kind of good in this area. We, we, we learned a lesson pretty early on in the life of our church. When, when we were first planting this church, there were about 50 of us, and we started in Richard's Middle School. And we wanted to be more than just a tenant, right? We wanted to show Richard's how much we cared about them. And so we reached out to one of the counselors and we said, hey, we, we want to provide Christmas gifts and a, and a holiday meal to, uh, to all of the families of your homeless students. And so we, we had this idea like we would meet with, you know, like five or 10 of these families that we would have this uh, moment of of really blessing them, getting to know them, and, and demonstrating to the school that we cared. We got the list. There were over 100 students who were attending that school who were homeless. 
And after a moment or two of panic, <laughs> we realize like we can't do this on our own. Like this is beyond us right now. But we weren't alone. See, God had sent us a family to be a part of the life of our church, the McAuliffe's. And it just so happens they have a lot of experience with ministering to students in middle schools because Mike is the executive director of Youth for Christ. And thus was born like the very first of our kind of ministry partnerships where Youth for Christ took a portion of the list and we took a portion of the list and and with our combined resources and volunteers and the generosity of people committed to these two organizations we managed to provide Christmas for everyone on that list. And I think that God used this lesson, this early lesson in humility for us. Because we now look for those opportunities to be in partnership with people who are doing God's work in the community, with nonprofits and parachurch organizations and other churches. These committed people are not our competition. And when we work together with them, we can do greater things than we could ever tackle on our own. So this is why New City Church doesn't have a ton of like mercy programs that are trying to solve major problems in our community. See, in humility, we're accepting the fact that we don't need to be the ones who always get the credit. We don't have to have the New City brand on everything that we put our efforts behind. So when Youth for Christ or Upper 90 or Path United or the Lawrenceville Response Center or Camp Westminster or any of our other ministry partners, when they succeed, we are grateful to have been a small part of it. And ultimately, we want to see God get all of the glory. But now we're kind of more established in our community. We're we're so excited about this prospect of creating a, a center for city flourishing in this building next to us. See, our ministry partners, they all, they all have these dynamic ministries, but, but some of them, they just don't have the space that they need. And that's just not okay. And we want to go wider into our community than ever before by by inviting our ministry partners to be able to use that space throughout the week and, and, and supporting them through the resource of our people. As they grow and flourish, we believe that we will grow and flourish, and we believe that our community will grow and flourish as it's reached with the gospel in new and exciting ways. There's one more example from our texts that I'd, I'd like us to give some attention to this morning. And, and really, that's that Jesus was really, truly a servant leader. I think one of the coolest things about this foot washing uh, story is that it's this excellent example of how meeting the physical needs of someone provides an opportunity to engage with them about spiritual truth. If you'll forgive me just a moment of kind of bumper sticker theology. There's a saying that I sometimes share with leaders. No one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah, that might be a little trite nowadays, but, but it's nonetheless absolutely true. When we serve others in humility, it shows that we actually care about them 
And this helps to develop this sense of trust between us. And as that trust grows, we, uh, they become open to hearing what we may want to share with them, the word of the gospel. Time and time again, we see Jesus meeting the physical needs of people, healing people and touching people. And, and then what does he always do? He always says, go and sin no more. Not because sin was the source of their their physical need, but because he knew that their spiritual need was an even greater need. Jesus said in Mark Mark 8, 36, "What, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? See, every one of us falls short of this glory of God. We're estranged from our Father and deserving of his displeasure. But God so loved the world that he sent his son, Jesus, so that we could be reconciled to the Father. Jesus lived this sinless life that that we could not live, and he explained to us how to be restored to the Father by believing in him. And later, he died that sinner's death on the cross and paid the penalty for our sin. And that's the good news of the gospel, right? If we believe in him, in what he has taught us, then we have eternal life. And Jesus used this foot washing, right? The meeting of a a genuine physical need as an opportunity to discuss the disciples' need to have been spiritually cleansed. This foot washing isn't what cleansed them some water on their feet. I think the reason why John took such, he took great pains, right, to make sure that we understood that, that um, uh, Judas was not clean, right? His feet got washed, but he was still unclean. Jesus brings up his disciples being clean uh, in one other place in this gospel of John. In John 15, 3, he says, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. See, the disciples' cleansing was was accomplished through the revealed word of God and through Christ's atoning sacrifice that the foot washing was representing. And so Jesus kind of puts bookends, I think, around this uh, lesson that he gives his disciples on foot washing. He, he wanted to be sure that his disciples didn't get confused about what the main mission is. He begins by telling them, right, that he's come to save the world by reuniting his chosen people with the Father. And he ends by telling them that he is saying all of this so that when he goes to the cross, they will believe that I am he. When he says, I am he, This is kind of a direct reference to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 43.10, where it says, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, and there shall be, nor shall there be any after me. Jesus wanted his disciples to be men who emulated his posture towards the world a merciful, servant-hearted posture. 
He wanted his disciples to build a church that would engage with their communities through compassionate, humble service, but not so we could fix this broken world. That's his job. But rather so through our compassion, we could engage with hurting people and have the opportunity to help them understand who Jesus truly is. Now, I know some of us want to debate about whether we should be a church that focuses on mercy and justice or a church that is focused on proclaiming the gospel. Well, frankly, I think that a church that focuses on either one to the exclusion of the other is not really a part of Christ's church at all. This is a both-and scenario, not a either-or. And there's a reality that we need to come to terms with, that, that there is so much need out there that we are never going to be able to fix it all. I think we hear a lot of rhetoric these days. Well-meaning folks say things like, with your help, we can cancel cancer, or we can solve the problem of homelessness if we all work together, or we can finally put an end to poverty if we all pay our fair share. But such ideas are not actually biblical, and we shouldn't get too caught up in, in these kind of ideas of, of uh, making the world a perfect place. See, God alone is sovereign over who is rich or who is poor or who is sick or who is healthy. And as long as we live in a broken world, we have to be comfortable with it being imperfect. But we also need to remember that there is, in fact, a solution to to all of the world's problems, and it's none other than Jesus Christ. And he has told us his plan. He has told us that he has gone away to prepare a place for us, that he is making all things new. You know, that's kind of where our church gets its name. See, we're not called New City because we want to transform Lawrenceville and make it into something that is new and perfect. We're called New City because we want to point people to Jesus who is coming back with the new heaven and the new earth and we will live with him for all eternity in the new Jerusalem, in the new city. When Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, these are the men that he chose to plant his church, right? He was setting an example for them and indeed an example for every local church that would come after them, including us. He wanted them to be in alignment with him as he is in alignment with the Father. He wanted them to be humble as he is humble. He wanted them to be servant leaders, showing mercy to all so they could have the opportunity to tell them how they could also be cleansed by Jesus. New City, this is the vision that God has put in front of us that that we would do greater things within our community alongside of ministry partners, demonstrating the merciful gospel to a needy world, and then when we have the opportunity, proclaiming the truth of who Jesus truly is. And I hope that you're beginning to, to get a notion of how your generosity could be a part of this, but my challenge to you this morning is would you just join us in dreaming big about what God could do with New City, to ask God what it would look like for you to be a servant leader within our community. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and and the truth of it. Lord, we thank you for calling us to uh, things that are greater than ourselves. Lord, we, we pray that you would give us eyes to see people the way that you see them, not as needy or, or annoying, but rather as people you have created in your image who greatly need to know who you are. Would you give us opportunities to be useful in our community, to make people's lives better? And would you give us opportunities to share with them the truth of your gospel? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, Pastor Ryan here. We're so glad that you've tuned in with us and watched one of our online sermons. Our vision as a church is to live as the family of God, together proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel of grace to one another in our city. If you don't have a church home or you're looking for a church, we'd invite you to attend one of our in-person worship gatherings so you can experience all that God has for us as a community of believers on mission.